Welcome to the Athens First United Methodist Church Sermons Podcast. I'm Kayla Thomason, a member of the communications team. We hope you enjoy this weekly resource. Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is good to be with you on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. And oh, what an appropriate thing it is for us to be in worship together this day. For we have much to be thankful for this morning. Amen? I'm grateful for our amazing flower guild that never ceases to amaze me with their gifts and how they bless us each week. I'm grateful for our musicians this morning and our incredible choir. I'm grateful for all of our our youth that led us in our Youth Sunday service last Sunday. If you weren't here, you missed something really, really special. But most of all, I am thankful for you that we could be in worship together this morning. And I hope you believe me when I say this, but worship is not the same when you're not here. So I am grateful that we can be in worship together. This morning, we are in our final week of our current sermon series. It's called The Art of Gratitude. And what we've been doing over the course of the last five weeks together is we've been looking at this connection, this intersection between faith and gratitude. And we've kind of taken a multi-dimensional look at this thing called gratitude. We've, we've talked about uh, what we're grateful for and who we're grateful for. I even challenged you at one point to write some thank you notes to folks in your life who may not have been expecting a word of gratitude, but would much appreciate it. If you haven't written your three cards yet, you've got four days. And I hope you do it because it's such a wonderful exercise for us to to take an inventory of our lives and ask God, who is it that I need to say thank you to? This morning, we, we close out our series by looking at what should be, could be, a very familiar passage of Scripture to most of us. We're going to look at the 100th Psalm. I'll start with verse 1. Hear now the Word of God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So I have a friend who serves a church down in Metro Atlanta. And one of the things my friend likes to use social media for is he likes to use it for his weekly sermon research. Uh, He doesn't necessarily do it every week, but on most weeks, what my friend will do is he will take to Twitter or to Facebook, and he will ask all of his followers certain questions that he wants responses to, questions about whatever subject it is that he's going to be preaching on that coming Sunday. So, for instance, he might say something like, um, this Sunday I'm going to be preaching on marriage. What's the best advice you've ever gotten about being married? Or he might say, um, next Sunday I'm going to be preaching on forgiveness. In your opinion, uh, 
What makes forgiveness so difficult? This past week, uh, my friend asked a unique question on his Facebook feed. He simply asked, what do you love most about Thanksgiving? And I can tell you that within a couple of hours, he had something like 150 different responses. He had all kinds of people that seemed very eager to tell, them, tell him what they felt about this special holiday. Of course, not surprisingly, the majority of the responses had to do with food. There was one guy who said, there isn't a single thing I don't love about Thanksgiving dinner. I love the turkey and the dressing and the mashed potatoes and gravy. I love cranberry sauce. I even love, he said, all of the traditional Thanksgiving vegetables. Vegetables like uh, carrot cake, and pumpkin pie, and zucchini bread. I love them all. He said, I love Thanksgiving dinner. There was one young lady who responded to the post by saying, you know, Thanksgiving Day is, is great and all, but as a student, what I love most is the fact that I get a much needed break from all of my teachers. And then the woman below her wrote, and as a teacher, what I love most is I get a much-needed break from all of my students. There are all kinds of responses about football and watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade. There was one person who wrote about how he loves to go to his church and serve at his church's soup kitchen because they serve hundreds of Thanksgiving meals every year. It was only up for about two hours, and he already had 150 different comments based on a simple question. What do you love most about Thanksgiving? Do you know what that tells me? That tells me at the very least that Thanksgiving is one of those words that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It means that Thanksgiving isn't one of those terms that just has uh, one definition or, or, or one connotation, but rather it's one of those terms that can be used in so many different ways. Of course, if that's true of how we use the word Thanksgiving in our modern day language, I would argue that it is especially true in how we use that word in the biblical language. Because throughout the scriptures, the word thanksgiving is used some 69 different times. And what's interesting about these references is the fact that if you look closely at each of the verses, that's a word that gets used very differently in each one. For instance, in the scripture that we read this morning from Psalm 100, uh, one of the things you may notice over the psalm is what's called a superscription. This is kind of an instruction, it's a detail about what kind of psalm it is, when it was used, why it was used. And in most Bibles, what the superscription simply says is that this was a psalm that was used by the community any time they wanted to make what was called a sacrifice of thanksgiving, or what was also called a thank offering. Now, throughout the Old Testament, there are literally dozens of different kinds of offerings that the Jewish people were required to offer to God throughout the year and in worship. 
there were things like guilt offerings and peace offerings and even ordination offerings. But what made a thank offering different was the fact thank offering was optional, meaning they didn't have to do it. It wasn't mandatory. It wasn't part of the worship schedule. No, a, th- a thank offering was only made any time the community got together and they all agreed that they had deep appreciation for something that God had done. And so as an act of thanksgiving, they would get together and they would make this offering. Typically, it would happen by sacrificing a large animal. Usually it was a bull. They would place it on the altar and then they would proceed to burn the offering. After the offering was made, what was unique was the fact that after all was said and done, they then were required to take what was left of the meat, and as a community, they were required to eat it. In fact, there were even certain kinds of breads and cakes that they were required to make to go along with this meal, and so it was this this community-wide event that everyone was invited to. So in other words, this was kind of like a good old-fashioned church barbecue. You know, it was like the ultimate Wednesday night supper that everyone was invited to. I think the best part about a thank-offering meal was the fact that not only were you allowed to go up for seconds, you were actually encouraged to. The reason why is because according to the Jewish law, you were not allowed to eat sacrificial meat the next day. You either had to eat it all or throw it away. And so at a big event like this, where there was lots and lots of meat, the people were allowed to come up for seconds and thirds and dessert and to get bread. They could get all the sweet tea they wanted. I mean, it was beautiful. And I can only imagine there were a handful of elders from the community of faith that after eating such a sumptuous meal, they went immediately to the recliners and enjoyed a well-deserved thank-offering afternoon nap. That's just one of the ways the word thanksgiving is used in the New Testament It was referred to as a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It was called a thank offering. But you know, that word is used a lot also throughout the New Testament. For instance, do you remember how the Apostle Paul used it when he was writing his letter to his church in Philippi? Do you remember how in chapter 4 he was trying to offer them words of encouragement and hope? He was trying to offer them some words that would just bring them comfort. And so what did he say? He said, friends, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, and with what? Thanksgiving. Make your requests be known to God, and here's what will happen. I promise you, he said, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul loved that word. And even Jesus was known throughout his ministry for offering acts of thanksgiving. Uh, Whether it was before he fed the 5,000 or during his last supper with his 12 disciples, before he raised Lazarus from the dead, what do, do the Gospels tell us that Jesus did? 
he offered a prayer of thanksgiving. And so all of that to say, throughout the Bible, when you look at this word thanksgiving, it is used in so many different ways. It's one of those words that has lots of different definitions. And so it is this week, I came across another definition of the word thanksgiving. And it was a definition that I have to admit, it stopped me dead in my tracks as soon as I read it. Because while it didn't necessarily come from the Bible, I would argue that it absolutely aligns with the Bible and our biblical understanding of what thanksgiving is. This is what it said. Thanksgiving is the opposite of envy. Because envy looks at what other people have and asks the question, why them? What did they do to deserve all of that? Thanksgiving, on the other hand, looks at all that we have and asks the question, why me? What did I do to deserve all this? In my opinion, that is one of the strongest definitions of thanksgiving I have ever come across. And that's because to me, it is a reminder that envy at its very core, envy is this, this insidious temptation to look at what everybody else has and then play the comparison game. You've ever done that before? Envy does not allow us to to look at what we have and be thankful just because we have it. No, envy requires us to look at what we have, and we cannot be grateful until we've measured it against what everybody else has. For instance, I remember when my kids were growing up, and we would have, you know, birthday parties for the kids throughout the year, and And every time, uh, as they were growing up, when we'd have these parties, we'd invariably get to that part in in the celebration where it was time to cut the cake. And so I would cut the cake, and I'd start putting, you know, slices of the cake on those little cute birthday plates. And then we'd hand them out to everyone who had gathered with us. Well, I remember my kids being so excited whenever I placed the piece of cake in front of them. They were so overjoyed. They were so thrilled with their piece of cake until they looked at the piece of cake that their sibling had. And then all of a sudden, there was like this NASA-level analysis of how they might be different. They started comparing how much frosting they got versus how much frosting I got. And they got the H in happy birthday, while I only got the little A. They started measuring like there's a one one hundredth of an inch bigger piece of cake on their plate than there is in mine, and there would protest. Of course, this was one of the most frustratingly comical things for us as parents because we knew that we had made all of those slices of cake the same. The only thing that was different was their perspective. You see, that's what envy does. It changes our perspective. Instead of allowing us to be grateful for what we do have, it insists that we compare it first with what everybody else has. 
And that's why envy can be a very dangerous trap for us to fall into. In fact, I'm reminded of an old Jewish story that the rabbis used to tell centuries and centuries ago. It was about a Jewish farmer. And according to the story, this Jewish farmer had God show up one day at his farm. And God said to the man, I'm going to grant you three wishes. You can have the desires of your heart. The only condition is that your neighbor gets double whatever you ask for. And so the farmer, not believing his good fortune, said, well, I've got my first wish ready to go. I wish for a hundred head of cattle. And just like that, the cattle showed up in his field, and he was overjoyed until he looked over the fence, and he saw 200 cattle in his neighbor's field. And so he said, Lord, I've got my second wish. I wish for a hundred acres of land. And just like that, his property expanded and he was overjoyed until he looked over the fence and he saw that his neighbor had 200 acres of land. And rather than being grateful for the goodness of God, he was overcome with envy. He was overcome with jealousy. And according to the rabbis, the Jewish farmer said, Lord, I have my third wish. I wish that you would strike me blind in one eye. And God wept. Envy is a dangerous trap. Indeed, it can absolutely poison our soul. Because rather than allowing us to be grateful for what we do have, envy causes us to be forever disappointed by what we don't have. Instead of allowing us to take an inventory of our lives and feeling a sense of great contentment, envy forces us to take that inventory, compare it against what everyone else has been given, and therefore we feel great resentment. Envy is a dangerous trap for all of us to fall into, and that is precisely why we read Psalm 100 this morning. Because I think hidden within the words of Psalm 100, there is a, there is a clue as to how to help avoid that trap. Because one of the things you may have noticed about Psalm 100 is the fact that all of its verses are written in the imperative, which means that these are not suggestions. These are not recommendations by the psalmist. The psalmist doesn't say, you should really try this sometime. It'd be real nice. I don't know why the psalmist sounded like that. I, forgive me. <laughs> psalmist is southern all of a sudden. But the psalm, if you look at the words, it's written in the imperative, which means that they are commands. The psalmist is saying, you got to do this. And so what does the psalmist tell us to do? He says, shout for joy, worship the Lord, come before him with joyous songs, know that the Lord is God. And so over and over and over again, the psalmist gives us these imperative commands and says, you've got to do this. And then right before the end, he gives us one last one. He says, and enter his gates with thanksgiving. I want you to enter his courts with praise. Now, if you are listening to the words of the psalmist this morning, and you go, I like it. 
I, I think this is right on the money. I, I think I might want to try this. I am picking up whatever the psalmist is putting down. I think I'm actually on board. But uh, first, I just want to know why. Like, why, according to the psalmist, would any of us need to do these things that he commands us to do? Well, what I want you to notice about the psalmist's why is that there isn't anything in all of his explanation, in all of his reasoning, that has anything to do with you. Meaning that he does not pander to us, nor does he play on our emotions. He doesn't say, honestly, I just think it'd be a good thing, you know? It'd be a real character builder. It'd be, I, I think it'd be a great spiritual exercise. I think you'd get a lot out of it. Why don't you just give it a try? That is not what the psalmist says. No, in every single case, the psalmist does not focus on us. No, everything that the psalmist says, why should we do it, is all about God. Why should we shout for joy? For the Lord is good, the psalmist says. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness extends to all generations. And every reason the psalmist gives, it's all about God and not about us. In other words, what the psalmist is saying is, church, it's time to change your perspective. Because what envy wants us to do, envy says that the way to gratitude is by looking around at what everybody else has and then comparing it to what you have. But what thanksgiving does, it says that the way to gratitude isn't by looking around. It's by looking up. And it's by recognizing the ultimate source of all our blessings. Everything we have comes from God. That's why William Jennings Bryan once said, on the 4th of July, we celebrate our independence, but on Thanksgiving, we recognize our utter dependence. Because everything we have is a gift from God. The air we breathe, the clothes on our back, the food on our table, the roof over our head, the people in our lives, everything we have is a gift from God. And so therefore, we should be grateful. Because according to the psalmist, it is impossible, it is impossible for us to look up and to behold and to ponder the goodness and grace and generosity of God and to not be filled to overflowing with gratitude because when we do that, we are recognizing that every good and perfect gift we've ever received is from God himself. So here we are on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And we are getting ready to go to what I like to call the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner table. And as we do, I want to encourage you to ponder a question that's simply this. What is it that you are actually grateful for in life? 
Who are the people? What are the things? What are the opportunities? How has God blessed you in so many ways in the year 2022? And if this morning, if you can't think right away what it is that you might be blessed by, I think what the psalmist would tell us to do is to start not by looking around, but it's by looking up. It's by recognizing the ultimate source of everything we've ever received in life. And when we do that, the psalmist says, I promise you one thing, your perspective will change. And you will be filled to overflowing with gratitude, which is one of the greatest things that can ever happen to us because when our hearts are filled with gratitude, that's when we finally understand what the German theologian Meister Eckhart meant when he said, if the only prayer we ever learn how to pray is thank you, well then, friends, that'll be enough. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC.